You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. If you have your Bibles, we're going to jump into what we've come this morning to do, and that is to open God's Word up. So open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. I've been walking through the Gospel of Mark with my church, and God has just um, just radically changed me in so many ways. I feel like the things that I preach to my church is only about a third of what God teaches me uh, throughout the week. And I want to look at a passage here in Mark chapter 8, but there's a question that I have been asking my church as we have walked through this Gospel, really, I think, since last fall for almost a year now, and that is this, what will you do with Jesus? You see, as you walk through the Gospels, you really have to ask this question, because you're going to see Jesus and who he is and the miracles that he does and who he says he is and what he proclaims, and you have to really ask yourself, what will you do with Jesus? When you come face to face with this truth, what are you going to do with them? And I think there's three responses that you can have. You can reject him. You can say no. You can say, I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to listen to him. I'm not going to walk that way. You can religionize him. You say, Jeremiah, is that really a word? No, I made it up. Um, But I like it, okay? It means means this, to exalt him in my religion, but not in my life. And, And we do that a lot. A lot of people that, you know, we'll exalt him on Sunday morning and we'll sing and we'll praise him. But then when we walk out those doors, he really has nothing to do with our life and has not changed us. Or you can embrace him. And that is to submit and obey the truths that he is teaching us and that we know about him. And I want to look at a passage this morning and I hope that by God's grace that you do embrace this truth and embrace him this morning and listen and obey him. Because I want to talk about what it means to be a disciple of Christ. You know, if you come to Harvest for any time and you look at the mission statement or you talk to people, you hear this word being a disciple of Christ, that we are here to make disciples. Well, what does that mean? Well, what does it mean to make a disciple? What does it mean that I am a disciple of Christ? Let me give you this illustration. Let's say after church you went to the grocery store. And you got one of those shopping carts. You know, I have five kids, and anytime we go to the grocery store, you know, it's an event, okay? I mean, it's a big deal. My wife, when she, you know, some ladies, they like to go to the grocery store by themselves. It's kind of their getaway. My wife likes it when we all go together. And so, you know, it's a family activity. Everybody go to the grocery store, and we have a great time there. And so when you go to the grocery store, though, and you're pushing around the cart, and you take some product off the shelf, and you put it in your cart, and you start filling up your cart. Let me ask you a question. When it goes in your cart, is it yours? No. Okay, it's not yours yet until you go up to the cash register, to the checkout line, and you pay for it. You know, I always thought it'd be kind of interesting, as if you're walking around with your car, if it just kind of was custom or just normal in America, that if you saw something in somebody else's car that you wanted that you could take. You know, wouldn't it be kind of, you couldn't find the Cocoa Puffs, but someone else had them right there in their car, and you just kind of grabbed them out? Uh, we don't do that. Don't do that right now. Also, I thought it was interesting, you know when you meet somebody in a store that you know, what is the first thing that you do? You look in their cart, don't you? You want to see what they bought. Everybody does it. Everybody's okay, that's a different question. But here's the thing. Let's say you're walking through the store, and you have your cart, and you have all your stuff, and even though it's in, and even though we kind of think that it's ours because it's in our cart, it really does not become ours until we check out. Let me tell you how most of the church thinks today. 
Most of the church thinks that because it's in our cart, that it's ours. We walk through and we put discipleship in our cart. We put, oh yeah, I'm going to be a follower of Christ, I'm going to put that in our cart. And we walk around the store and we meet someone, oh yeah, see, it's in my cart, I'm the disciple of Christ, I'm a follower of Christ. But really, it is not ours until we go through the checkout line and we pay for it. And I believe this passage right here shows us what it means and what it costs to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because you can have it in your cart, but until you have paid the price for it, it's really not yours. I love things that are clear. When I drove from Pittsburgh to to here, I I wanted to know exactly where I'm going, which road to take. I I like things that are clear, and I don't think you're going to find a more clear passage on what it means to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. And and so here I even be clear what my message is this morning. Here's the bottom line. It cost him, Christ, his life so that I could have life. But in order to have life, I must lose my life. It it cost Christ his life so that I could have life, but in order to have life, I must lose my life. And and this is what we want to look at. And I hope as we walk through this passage that you're going to understand this statement right here in in a greater way. So let's start reading Mark chapter 8, verse 27. And Jesus went on his way with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi, Now, here's a map of where Jesus was, the red arrow, um, right there, the red arrow kind of pointing where Caesarea Philippi is. And and this is right right after this, we see Jesus go up to the Transfiguration, which is Mount Hermon, most scholars believe, which is right above that. And Transfiguration, where Moses and Elijah come, and Jesus is transfigured, and, and Peter, James, and John see that. Then they come down the mountain. And it's really from that point that Jesus starts to make his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. He spends a little bit of time in Galilee doing some ministry there. But this is really at the end of his ministry, and he is walking towards Jerusalem to be crucified. So the disciples, they had been with Jesus probably for over two years at this point, walking and listening to his teaching, seeing his miracles. And Jesus, being a great teacher, never misses a moment So here as they're walking to Philippi, it says, On the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? He says, Who who do people? Now he's he's planning on getting to this place of what it costs to be a disciple, but he starts up here and says, Listen, let's kind of get the general question out. Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. Some say you're John the Baptist, even though John the Baptist was beheaded earlier. Some might not have heard that he had been beheaded, or some thought he came back to life. They say, well, he's John the Baptist. Or some uh, others say Elijah. Remember in the Old Testament, Elijah never faced death, death physically. He was taken up in a chariot of fire. So some thought that he had come back, and this was him teaching. Some say that he was a good prophet, you know, what would people say today Jesus Christ is? You know, if you were to walk the streets of South Bend or Mishawaka today, and you ask someone, who, who is Jesus? What would they say? You know, if you were to talk to a, a Buddhist, they might say he's a historical figure, he's a good teacher. You know, even somebody who, who is not a believer, 
You go back and look at the history books from people who were not followers of Christ during that time frame, people like Josephus. They said that there was a figure named Jesus who walked the face of the earth that lived during that time. So was he a real person? Yes, 99.9% of people would say he was a real person that walked during that time. But who really was he? If you talk to a Mormon or a Muslim, they would say he was a good prophet. When we first moved out to Pittsburgh, we had some friends and our neighbors, and they were Mormons. And they were great people. We had a lot of conversations with them, and we talked to them about the religion and what we believe. And they would believe that he was the son of God, but they would not believe he was God. Now, they would say, yes, he was God's son, but when we came to that question of really asking him, was he God in flesh, they would say no. So Jesus is asking his disciples, who, who do people say? And then verse 29, he turns the question and goes right at their heart. He says, but who do you say that I am? Okay, this is what the, uh, everybody else says, but let me ask you, who do you say? You've walked with me for two years now. Who do you say that I am? Well, Peter, he always has an answer, right? He, he jumps up, he speaks up, and he says this, You are the Christ. The word there means Messiah. And Peter, he, he gets it right. He says, Jesus, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. He's saying, you're the one that's going to come and, and set up your kingdom, and you're going to rule and reign. That's who you are. You are the Messiah, the one that we've been longing for, the one that we've been looking for. Now, let me ask you, though. Who do you say Christ is? Who is he to you? Because listen, if you don't get this, then you won't get the rest. I wonder if many don't understand what discipleship is because they don't understand who Christ is. They might think he's a good person. They might think he's a good teacher. But let me ask you, is he the Messiah? Is he the Savior? You see, we've made him a religious icon, but we've missed really who he is. And let me tell you, the cost of discipleship starts with a confession. And it is a confession realizing that he is Christ, the Messiah. Well, Jesus turns in verse 30, and he strictly charges them, don't tell anybody. He says, yes, you're right, Peter, but don't tell anybody about this. What, why is he saying that? We say he realizes that first he's going to have to suffer. Look at verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must. Now stop right there just for a second. Because that title, Son of Man, is very important as you study through the Gospel of Mark. As you walk through the Gospel of Mark, and if you ever just read through it, just circle and underline every time it says the Son of Man. Now, if he were to look at Peter and said, Peter, the Son of Man must do what? What do you think Peter would have said? I think Peter would have went back to Daniel chapter 7 because a good Jew would have known about the Son of Man. And if they would have been taught at all, they would have known the Son of Man and it was prophesied about him in Daniel chapter 7. Let me read you what these verses say. It says, I saw in the night visions and behold the clouds of heaven and there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and that's speaking of God, and was presented before him. So the Son of Man was presented before the Ancient of Days. And to him, to the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all nations and people and languages would serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. 
You see, if Peter, if Jesus would have come to Peter and said, Peter, the Son of Man must do what? Peter would have said, the Son of Man, man, he is going to have all dominion and all power and God's going to give him all authority and he's going to rule and reign and all tongues and nations are going to bow before him. That is what the Son of Man must do. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, the Son of Man must suffer many things. I, I can just imagine the disciples going, oh, What? Well, that's, that's not what we were taught. That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. Those three groups that are make up the Sanhedrin. And we see later on in this gospel that they bring him, they false accuse him. And they're the ones that kind of get the crowd going to crucify him. And, after th- and he will be killed. And after three days, he will rise uh, again. Jesus comes and says, listen, this is what the Son of Man is going to happen to him. He's going to suffer. He's going to be killed. He's going to be rejected. He's going to rise again, though. You know, we're talking about the cost of discipleship. And in order for me to be a disciple, it cost Christ his life. What, What Christ went through at the cross, how he was beaten and tortured, he suffered, He was rejected by the very beings that he created and not only rejected by man, but God himself turned his back upon him. So he was rejected by man. God turned his back upon him and he died on a cross for you. Now, Peter doesn't like that very much. What's Peter do? It says in verse 32, in Jesus, he said this plainly, which means, frankly, this he's saying, I'm not saying this in any parables. This is truth. And, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I can just imagine Peter. Jesus says this, and Peter goes, Jesus, can you come over here for a second? Jesus, you're not quite getting this right. Do you know what Daniel 7 says? Daniel 7 says that the Son of Man is going to have all power and authority and dominion. That is what's supposed to happen to the Son of Man. Jesus, you're kind of missing this. And, and what does Jesus do? And turning and seeing his disciples, so he turns his back to Peter and he says, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not set in your minds on things of God, but on things of man. Now, was Jesus saying that Peter was Satan? No. But, but listen to me, church. We are never more like Satan when we set our plans and our agendas above God. Do you hear me? We are never more like Satan when we set our plans and our agendas above God. Because that, that's what's taking place here. Church, be careful not to set your mind on earthly things and take away from the things that are God's. Are there plans in your life right now that you think are better than God's plans? You know God is telling you to go this direction, and you're like, no, nah, I think I'm going to go this direction. But God's saying, this is what you need to do with your life, and you're saying, no, I think I'm going to do this. Listen, we are never more like Satan when we try to set our plans and our agendas above God. When we sit there and say, no, God, I think I got this under control. I have a better way, just like Peter. That's what he was saying. Jesus, I have a better way. This is what should happen. You're wrong. Man, how often do we do that same thing? You know, we can look at this and we kind of laugh at Peter and like, I don't know, Peter, you don't really get this. 
we do the same thing. Well, Jesus, having a teachable moment again in verse 34, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, so there must have been some other people that started to form. So Jesus gets the crowd and his disciples, and he comes again and says, Listen, I, let, let me teach you something. If anyone would come after me, what's he saying? So listen, I'm going to tell you what it means to be a disciple. I'm going to tell you, if you want to have the things that are in your cart, and you're going to go through the checkout line, and you're going to pay the price to be a disciple of me, then I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm going to be as clear as I can. Here's three things. This is what it's going to cost you. So it's not just in your car and you're walking around the store, but you're choosing to walk out and you're choosing to pay for it. Jesus, so you're going to come after me. Here's what it's going to cost you. You're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Let's look at those three. Deny yourself. It means to totally not associate with someone. To cease making self the object of one's life. Listen, I'll be honest with you, I hate to deny myself. Okay, I, I don't like that very much. My wife, um, a couple months ago, was going to start a, a diet called like Whole30, and it's a, you know, a good cleanse and a, a good diet. So I was like, you know, I'll do it with you. She said, you know, I said, well, first, you know, tell me what's in the diet. And, and she said, well, you can have meat. And I said, that's fine. As long as I have meat, I'm in. And, and so I, I, I tried. So it's like meat, vegetables, and fruit. And so, man, we started, and man, I, I suffered, and I didn't eat the, certain, the sweets, and man, I walked through this diet with her, and, and I didn't quite last the whole 30 days. I think it lasted about three. <laughs> After about three days, let me tell you, I needed a sweet tea really bad. <laughs> and, and so I, I tried a little bit more as the month go on, went on, but I, I really wasn't that successful in it. You know, what, what's it mean really, though, to deny ourselves? What is Jesus talking about right here? He's talking, are you willing to let Christ run your life and not you? Are you ceasing to say, listen, it's not about me, it is about him, and I'm going to let God run my life. It's not me trying to run it, but it is Christ. You see, if we're going to follow him, the first price that we're going to have to pay is saying no to ourselves, and we don't like that very much. You know, we kind of want to have this religion where we have Jesus, but we can still have the reins and do what we want. She said, that's, that's not it. If you're going to come after me, if you're going to check out, and you're going to go through the checkout line, then one of the prices you're going to have to pay is to deny yourself. And say, it's not about my life, it's not about what I want, it's about Christ, it's about him. It's about what he wants for my life. I must deny myself and take up my cross. Now, if someone would have heard cross or read this back then, that they would have known that the cross was a symbol of death. It was a symbol of pain and of suffering. It was a symbol of a long death. One commentator said, that they wouldn't even use, many people wouldn't even use that word in that time frame because of what it represented. They knew they had the pictures of the people that were tortured and beaten and how they hung on the cross. And so when Jesus said, listen, we're going to have to take up our cross. You're going to have to pick it up and to follow me. What does he mean? He's saying, listen, you're going to have to choose to suffer. You're going to have to voluntarily do it. It's a readiness to suffer for Christ. It's a picture of the willingness to pay any price for Jesus Christ. 
I remember studying through this and reading through this and just thinking, God, what, what does that look like for me in the 21st century in America? Yes, I can look across the world and see my Christian brothers and sisters who are being beaten and tortured and, and burned for the name of Jesus Christ. But what's that look like for me? I mean, for most of us, I mean, we think suffering is when we're in traffic for more than 15 minutes. Oh, when we're called to go change diapers in the nursery, we are suffering for Jesus. Listen, what's that really mean for us? In the Gospel of Luke, when he gives this account, he adds one word. He says, take up his cross daily. You know, I think what Jesus is communicating, what he's saying, is I must be willing daily to get up and to say, God, it is totally whatever you want. I'll pay any price today. To follow you, God, whatever you have in store for me today, whatever it might be, I'll pay any price to follow you. Listen, I know there's probably been some here that you have stood up for Christ at work, and you have been towards or suffered. Maybe you didn't get that job that you wanted because they knew your ethics were according to this book right here, and they didn't want that. Or maybe you didn't get that raise because you stood up for what was right and your boss didn't like it very much. So, so maybe you have walked through that time of suffering for Jesus Christ. But for whoever it is, it is us daily getting up and saying, God, it's not about me. Whatever price you want me to pay, I will pick up my cross and I will follow you. I will deny myself. I will take up my cross. Take up your cross. And I will follow you. You know, many Christians today want to no-follow Christianity. We don't really like to follow. I, I have five kids, and they, they don't play follow the leader too much, and the reason being is no one wants to follow. I have a three-year-old son, and even though his sisters are trying to get him to follow, he doesn't want to follow. He wants to lead. He wants to be in charge, and, and we kind of look at them and go, oh, it's kind of funny, but listen, we're just the same way. Who wants to follow? You know, we don't mind following, but this is how we do it. We say, God, I'll follow you, but we'll go in this way. Or, God, I'll follow you, but I'm going to kind of steer. Listen, if we're going to go through the checkout line, and we're going to make it more than just something that's in our cart, but it's going to become ours, then we're going to have to say, God, we are following you. I'm denying myself. I take up his cross, and I follow him. It's not following what I want. It's not following my ways. It's following him. Listen, when we talk about salvation, a lot of times we talk about the inheritance that we get. We talk about heaven. We talk about the grace and the mercy that comes. And don't get me wrong, those are all part of salvation. But please understand, in order to get those, you have to go through the checkout line. And the cost of being a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ is to deny yourself, is to take up your, his cross, and to follow him we love to talk about the inheritance and we love to talk about heaven and those things are wonderful but we don't get to those unless we deny ourselves take up his cross and follow him we live in a society that teaches such an easy believism that we kind of you know have uh, our fire insurance we prayed some prayer we walked some aisle but listen the bible is so clear on what it means to come after Christ. If we're going to come after him, 
It is to take up his, to follow, deny ourself, take up his cross, and follow him. Look at verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for the sake of the gospel will save it. What does it mean to lose my life? This is not losing the individual person that I am. God does not want us to all be robots. He created you how he created you. And he wants you to stop gaining your identity through this world and lose this world and find your identity in Christ. Listen, you lose your life to this world, but you find it in Christ. And then verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul though? You know, what good is it if you have this world, what this world says is riches, our popularity, our status? Yes, you can have that all. But what good is it if I have that all, if in 150 years, all I have left is my soul? You have the world, but is it going to be any good in 150 years? No. But you lose your soul. Verse 37 but what can a man give in return for his soul? So listen, the most important thing is your soul. Why do we spend, why do we live this life for this world? Verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man, there's that title again, also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Oh, what's he saying here? Now, he's not saying, and please understand this, he's not saying if one time you were out and you just felt God would told you to go witness to somebody and, and you said no, and, and that now Christ is going to be ashamed of you. That's not what he's talking about here. He, he's talking about a settled state of the heart that you have chosen, you have chosen to say, I am not going to deny myself. I'm not taking up his cross. I, I'm not going to follow him. That listen, Christ is, the Son of Man is coming. Like Daniel talks about in Daniel 7, he is going to come like that. And he is going to rule and he's going to reign. He's going to set up his kingdom and all tongues and nations are going to bow before him. That is going to happen. He's going to come there with God in his glory and the holy angels. And when he comes, it is sad to think, according to this verse, that he will look at some and be ashamed of how they lived their life. I'll tell you, that's a very sobering verse. That there will be some who they're not, I'm not going to deny myself. I, I, I'm not going to take up his cross. I, I'm not going to follow him. And he will look at them and be ashamed at how they lived. Listen, the Bible is clear on what it means to be a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. That there's not three roads. Either you follow him or you don't. The Son of Man is coming. And where will you be at in your heart? Who do you say Christ really is? A couple months ago, my wife and I, we were watching something on TV, and we flipped the channel to ESPN, and um, the Invictus games were on, 
And I, I don't know if you um, follow the Victus games or saw them. I think it's only been around for about three years. They're games for fallen soldiers who have lost either an arm or a leg, and I, I, nothing against the Victus games. I think they're great. They boost the morale of those fallen soldiers. But what kind of stood out to me as I, as I saw it what was when I read and I saw kind of their logo there and what they put in yellow there in the middle of the Invictus games is I am. You know, as a believer, when I think of that statement, I am, I go back to the, you know, Moses when he was there in front of the burning bush. And Moses is, God's telling Moses you're supposed to go to Egypt and get the people out of Egypt. And Moses says, who should I tell him sent me? And God out of the burning bush, just tell him that the I am sent you. And then you read through the Gospels and you see that Jesus uses that statement to say, I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection, I am the good shepherd. And so that statement, I am, just, you know, for me, it kind of is sacred, kind of belongs only to Christ. So we watched a little bit more and it was the opening ceremonies and, and so they sang, they have a national or an anthem for the Invictus Games. And their anthem comes from a poem from William Ernest Henley that was written in 1875. And Coldplay put music to it and has this song. And we listened to the song, and, but what really struck me was really the last two words, the last two lines of the song. And I went online and looked up the whole poem and read it. And maybe in high school or college I read the poem before. But these were the last two lines of this song that they were proclaiming as they sung there that was written by William Ernest Henley in 1875. These were the last two lines. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And I remember just thinking, wow. I don't know if you can have a more proudful statement than that right there. I am the master of my fate. I'm in charge of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I'm the one that's in charge. I'm the one that rules. I'm the one that reigns. And listen to me, church. I believe every person here is either singing this anthem with their life or they're singing this anthem with their life. There's only two anthems. Either you're saying, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul, or you're singing the anthem, I will deny myself, I will take up my cross, and I will follow him. It's either, you say, no, there's kind of a middle road, right? I'm not really saying any of those. Isn't there kind of a middle ground? You won't find that in the scriptures. For either you're declaring that you're in charge, that you're going to run your life, or you're saying, God, it's all about you. Which song? Are you singing with your life? Which song are you communicating with your life? What is it going to cost you to go out of the checkout line? It's going to cost you your life. And so that's where we get back to it cost him his life so that I could have life. But in order to have life, I must lose my life. Which anthem are you singing with your life? What is coming forth from you? You say, Jeremiah, I'm a good person. You know, maybe I've never really been saved. Maybe I've really never given everything to God, but I'm a pretty good person. Listen, there's only two roads, church. There's only two roads. Let me read a quote as we close here by C.S. Lewis. He, he, he says this, Give up yourself, and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and you will save it.
Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day. And the death of your whole body is the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Look for yourself and you'll find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else is thrown in. What song are you singing with your life this morning? Say, Jeremiah, what, what do I do with this message? Listen, if you're saved, will you remember the path that you chose to walk? Remember how Christ gave his life so that you could have life. A, a life that you have that's not your own. It, it is for Christ and the gospel. Have you forgotten what life is really about? Are you daily denying yourself, taking up his cross and following him? Or have you taken back the reins of your life? Maybe like Peter, you know God has told you to do this and you're saying, no, I'm doing this. But I believe there's also some here this morning you're still pushing your cart around the store. You might have a follower of Christ or to be a disciple of Christ in your cart, but it's never truly become yours. It's truly never, you've never gone through the checkout line and paid the price, true salvation, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Listen, today can be the day of your salvation. Stop playing the game. Stop staying in the store. God has something so much greater for you. Will you check out today and say, yes, I will deny myself, take up his cross, and follow him? Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me? With heads bowed and eyes closed, will you go to God right now I do believe the Spirit is working, He is moving in hearts. Will you be obedient to Him? Don't say no to the Spirit if He's challenging you with something right now. Some of the pastors and the elders that are up front, if you need to pray with somebody, you come on up. Maybe you sit here this morning and you know that you have never paid the price to be a follower of Christ. Oh, you have it in your cart, but you've never truly sang the anthem that I will deny myself, take up his cross, and follow him. If you're like that today, please don't, don't walk out the back. Come and talk to someone now. Come and talk to someone after the service. Let today be the day of your salvation. And if you're a believer here this morning, Listen, is Christ running your life or did you take back the reins? Is there something that you have said? No, it's a, I'm doing what I want. You can gain the whole world, but it's not going to be worth it. Will you stand with me as we pray?
Father God, I come before you right now. Please continue to work in hearts. Don't let anybody leave today that does not have a settled heart. Lord, if they're choosing to reject you, God, I pray that you would not let them even sleep tonight. God, I pray that we'd embrace the truth of your word. Lord, you're very clear on what it means to be a disciple of you, even though many out there are preaching a different gospel and preaching different things and saying other things. Your, your word is very clear that if we're going to come after you, then we must deny ourselves, take up your cross, and follow you. So God, I pray that you would find each person here, that they know the truth, and that they'd obey the truth. Not just hearers of your word, but doers. Lord, it is by your mercy, it is by your grace that we can do any of this. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us on the cross. We praise, we exalt you, we magnify you. In the name of Jesus, I do pray. Amen.